Coming up next on the Varsity Journal Podcast. Patrick Mahomes, for anyone that isn't already aware, is AMF. I, hey, guys, this podcast is going to be riddled with stats because I, I wrote down some crazy stuff. That is insane. So joining me on the show right now is Kyle Madsen from USA Today Sports Media Group. I don't even think Tom Savage would be the backup. But you're doing a disservice to the bar and the identity of a bar. And the idea that the bar is the place to go watch sports. We are recording, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode number nine. I am your host, Ryan Poirier. Thanks for tuning in. Um, you know, man, I've, I've been thinking about this. When is it time to start getting real as a sports fan? When you sit down and have this tough talk with yourself and say, Hey, my team sucks. Hey, my team doesn't have what it takes. You know, as an unbiased and proud sports fan, I will say that. And I will make those tough calls. But I say that aloud to an audience. And when I break this stuff down, it's easier to say. But it's even more tough to have that conversation with yourself and admit that your team sucks. You know, I can tell other people that and I can tell you guys or I can tell my friends and say that. But I've realized this and, you know, that's why I want to start off the show by saying this, how much harder it is to admit to yourself that, hey, or admit to myself, hey, the 49ers fucking suck. And if you watch this podcast, you know how big of a 49ers fan I am. And they played the Monday night football game last night. And uh, yeah, they fucking blew it. And okay, I'm going to be unbiased for a second. And I'm actually going to talk about some other teams first. But we will get to the 49ers uh, later on in the show. Hey, did you watch... Did you guys watch that Sunday nighter? Kansas City versus New England? That game was absolute madness. The Pats, this is a situation. The Pats are up a couple touchdowns after the first quarter. And the Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, he's already thrown a couple interceptions in the first quarter. And when you watch this game, with a naked eye and you analyze what's going on, you're seeing this young kid, Patrick Mahomes, get mentally broken down by a superior veteran tandem in Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And this is, as I'm watching the game, this is the Pats doing what the Pats always do. You know, they break your spirit and they take... The team that has the best record in football, which is the Kansas City Chiefs, they're undefeated at 5-0. and And, you know, just when everybody's doubted the Pats and they start talking about whether or not the Pats will even make the playoffs this year, the Pats come back, they take over the AFC East, 
retain that first place spot. They shut those rumors up. And yeah, they will take the first place team in the league, the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> 5-0 record? That's cute. This is what happens. Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Rob Gronkowski, they go to fucking work. Okay, so I'm watching this game, and all this is happening. I have Patrick Mahomes on my fantasy team, so I'm checking my phone and seeing how he's doing on Game Center. And he's doing bad. He's thrown two picks in the game, and he's struggling to do what he's done in those five other previous games to this. And I'm evaluating all of this, and I'm going, okay, this is the Patrick Mahomes welcome to the NFL moment here. This is what I'm watching. Because he's now facing those motherfuckers from New England in, in Foxborough too. It's in New England. But dude, what do we see? After that miserable Patrick Mahomes first quarter, we see Patrick Mahomes rise from the ashes in the second half. And he goes, okay, let's play some fucking ball now. The jokes are over. He throws touchdown, then another touchdown, then another touchdown. And then now the Chiefs, they're down seven with like a minute left. Patrick Mahomes, this 23-year-old kid, launches a ball to Tyreek Hill, ties up the game. It's uh, it's now Tuesday. You guys know the inevitable result. You know what happens. Yeah, the Chiefs, they go on to lose. Uh, Steven Goskowski kicks a last-minute field goal. But, dude, Patrick Mahomes, for anyone that isn't already aware, is a MF. He's an MF. He is a legitimate baller. And he proved that by going blow for blow with arguably the best quarterback to ever do it, Tom Brady. You know, Patrick Mahomes, this 23-year-old kid, got himself into a shootout with the grizzled 40-year-old TB12 Tom Brady. Do you want to hear an insane stat? I wrote this stat down for you. When Patrick Mahomes was in kindergarten, kindergarten, Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl. In 2001. And. I Hey guys. This podcast is going to be riddled with stats. Because I, I wrote down some crazy stuff. So Brady. He did this at the age of 24 years old. And he passed Joe Namath and Joe Montana. As the youngest quarterback. To ever win a Super Bowl. Which is a record that would eventually be broken by. Guess who? I'll give you a clue. It happened five years after Tom Brady did it. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, are you guys... You guys are answering this question in your head, I hope? Because that answer is Big Ben Roethlisberger, who won a Super Bowl when he was 23 years old. That's something I didn't know. And that's the current record as the youngest quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl. But okay, here is this weird-ass stat that I had found. Okay, so when I was talking and I was saying that Tom Brady, when he broke Joe Namath and Joe Montana's record as the youngest quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl, I don't mean that he passed their record like 
you know, they were 25 and he was 24. Listen to this. Okay. In 1969, when Joe Namath won Super Bowl number three, Super Bowl three, he was 25 years old, 25 years, seven months, and 13 days old. When Joe Montana won Super Bowl 16 with the Niners in 1982, he was 25 years, seven months. And 13 days old. So simultaneously, they held that record for almost 20 years together. That is insane. That on the exact day of their lives, they had won the same thing. This is bizarre and it should be bizarre to you too. And I don't know why this is something that not everybody talked about. Or heads talked about for a really long time. Because I'd imagine and I'd hope that this is something that everybody talked about long before Brady finally broke their record. And thankfully this is something we don't have to talk about anymore to avoid the confusion. But come on, that's insane. What is the coincidence that the same day in their life they had been living for x amount of days and it was on that same particular moment in their life that they had both won a super bowl and also i was thinking about this too like how fucking annoying would that be for joe montana once he won the super bowl he won the super bowl 13 years after joe namath did and they're like oh hey uh you didn't actually break this record but you share it with Joe Namath because somehow it worked out that you two were the exact same day, not same age. You were the same day when you played in your first ever Super Bowls and you happened to have both won those Super Bowls. Um, anyway, my point was that I think Patrick Mahomes might do that this year. And I think he might break that record that Big Ben currently holds as the youngest quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl. And the way that Mahomes is playing, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, guy's a beast. Um, so yeah, following that Sunday night game, we had the 49ers and the Packers in Monday night football last night. And, you know, I don't know what it's been about these night games, but it seems that Every night game this year has been incredible. Like, what is it about these night games that just brings out these fucking wars? Uh, and it all started off with that Aaron Rodgers insane comeback uh, in week one versus the Bears. Uh, we had that shootout go down Sunday night, and then, you know, this Monday night game was incredible too. Um, the Niners and Packers game. And... Yeah, it was fucking painful also as a fan, as a fan of the 49ers, to watch Aaron Rodgers do that exact same thing that he did against the Bears against my Niners. But you know what? At the end of the day, for me, I just have to admit that, yes, my 1-5 in five team sucks. And yes, Aaron Rodgers is one bad dude. Um, and you know what? That doesn't make me a bad fan, I don't think. 
Uh, I will say that my team sucks objectively because they, they're one in five. The record speaks for itself. But it doesn't mean that I don't think we have some of the biggest badasses in the NFL wearing a 49ers jersey. I mean, DeForest Buckner looked like an animal last night. And it, his ability to pressure the O-line and pressure the quarterback is outstanding. He is so powerful. He Generally, he's being covered by two guys, and he still has that ability to just slip through them. Um, you know, the only problem is, is that he's not getting any help on that D-line. Uh, because the two guys that we have rushing the edge are slow as shit. Uh, and that's why DeForest Buckner is doing the bulk of the work down there. And yeah, this season is a major disappointment. And watching that game last night, uh, and watching my Niners almost secure the W only to have it ripped away from me, it hurt, man. It hurt a lot. Uh, so joining me in this uh, in this pain is um, 49ers writer Kyle Madsen from USA Today. Uh, he joins the show. Um, we get into the game from last night. Uh, what's gone wrong in this disappointing season? What you can do as a fan uh, as this team ultimately has removed themselves from playoff contention. And uh, we talk about some bright spots that we can look forward to. So here is my interview with Kyle Madsen. So joining me on the show right now is Kyle Madsen from USA Today Sports Media Group. Um Kyle, we're talking today because, you know, the season for the San Francisco 49ers, it was not supposed to get to this point. Uh, the Niners are currently 1-5, in five, and, you know, I'm a big 49er fan myself, and I wasn't expecting this, and I'm sure a lot of other 49er fans weren't expecting this, and maybe the Jimmy Garoppolo injury is the deciding factor of everything that's gone on, but, you know, Kyle, is there anything else that you are pointing the finger at that explains for how we ended up here? Uh, yeah, I think that uh, a lot of people going into this season uh, kind of dramatically overestimated what the 49ers had defensively. Uh, they finished the year pretty strong on that side of the ball. Uh, DeForest Buckner was good at the end of last year. Uh, Adrian Colbert and Jaquaski Tart were good at the end of last year. Uh, Akella Witherspoon looked like an up-and-coming uh, star on the outside cornerback. And then in the offseason, you add uh, Richard Sherman, and uh, Fred Warner was an exciting young rookie uh, on that side of the ball with Reuben Foster, um, who, despite his legal troubles, was only going to miss a couple games. And I think people were really excited about where this defense was headed, and uh, it has just not been there this year. Uh, Witherspoon has been uh, up and down and in and out of the lineup, as you've seen. Uh, Jimmy Ward, a former first-round pick, uh, doesn't have a position because he's not particularly good at any of them. Um, and, and and when you can't stop anybody, it uh, turns out it's, it's tough to win games in the NFL. Uh, and, and the 49ers are learning that. And I think they're learning that uh, they have a long way to go on the defensive side of the football before they're going to be consistently competitive. You know, you have you have a few guys on the defense who are banged up, but... That's that's football, man. You're always gonna have those guys. I, I I don't see a star right now who's you know out out of the lineup indefinitely. You know I know Tart is playing. He's hurt. Uh, Foster's hurt. Kello has his thing going on. But 
they're still all there. And, you know, this is the NFL. You guys got to compete. And what we're seeing right now are just errors happening on the field. And these are things that I think, you know, they're supposed to be fixed by preseason. And, you know, here we are. We're six weeks into the regular season. And you look at the roster and, you know, like you had said, the talent is there. But these guys just aren't performing. And, you know, do you think that Robert Sala may be the guy to blame for all of this? Um, maybe. Uh, I, I'm, I'm interested to see a couple more years with him first. Uh, There's still the, so the, the Seahawks kind of scheme that, that he runs, that kind of 3-4 overlook, uh, requires... Um, sometimes that your linebackers cover wide receivers and your defensive linemen wind up covering wide receivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is kind of just a flaw of the system. And Robert Sully even pointed out that uh, there's times where it gets exploited, but there's a lot of times where it doesn't, uh, where, where that, that defensive scheme works. Uh, Richard Sherman is vouching for him, saying that uh, it's, it's miscommunications, uh, not, not necessarily scheme-related issues. So, uh, maybe maybe Sala winds up being the fall guy uh, at the end of the year, but I think I think ultimately when you look uh, at what they have defensively, and, and you look at so you look at the Seahawks defense that was so dominant that used this exact scheme, uh, they could rush the passer. They got after the quarterback. They put pressure on opposing teams. And the 49ers can't do that. Now, they got some nice push up the middle last night against Aaron Rodgers, but. Uh, if you can't pressure a quarterback off the edge, you're not going to be an effective defense. I think that's what the 49ers are running into right now. Uh, I think it's a lot of personnel-related problems. Cassius Marsh can't be your best edge rusher. He's your only edge rusher even. Uh, Solomon Thomas has not been, I think, the force that they expected him to be mm. when they drafted him number three overall. Uh, Eric Armstead uh, is playing out of position, uh, kind of on the edge. He hasn't been effective. I, I think... Uh, yeah, I, I, so Solomon might wind up being the fall guy here, but I, I don't think the 49ers issues on defense are scheme related. Mm-hmm. All right, let let let's move on to the offense, and uh, they got their problems there too. And based on what you saw last night and what you've been seeing with C.J. Beathard so far, how have you assessed his performance? Have you been pleasantly surprised with how C.J. has handled this offense, or you know, are you just ultimately disappointed that the results aren't there? Uh, yeah, I think what we're seeing, or at least what we saw against the Chargers and what we saw last night, uh, Monday night, versus uh, kind of what we saw in that Cardinals game, like, is, that Cardinals game felt like, like last year's method, whereas the other two games felt like he had taken strides, which is kind of what I expected to see. And he's obviously not going to be a starting quarterback. He's not going to lead a team to a Super Bowl, but he's a serviceable backup who if he has to start a game for you, you don't feel like you've automatically lost that game. And if you take away the interception that bounces off Garrett Selleck's chest against the Chargers, um, if you take away uh, a couple of the minor mistakes that Beathard made against the, the Cardinals that led to turnovers, uh, and then you take away the couple of fumbles last night, yep. all of a sudden you're looking at a, probably a 3 0 Niners team uh, under C.J. Beathard. So I think he's been a little bit better than I expected. Uh, but but still, I mean, he's not a world beater. He's not going to be, like I said, he's never going to push Jimmy Garoppolo for the starting job. Uh, but he is what he is, um, and I think he's going to continue to make strides a little bit, but I think we're pretty much reaching uh, his ceiling as a starting quarterback. We're getting pretty close, uh, you know, 
almost to that one-year anniversary uh, where the Niners actually traded for Jimmy Garoppolo last season. I, th- I think that it was week eight, and the record was 0-8 last year. He ends up starting the last five games of the season, or maybe it was six. And, you know, the Niners, they just went on a tear. And, you know, it, it really was this positive light on a season that was going miserably. Right now, as miserable as this season is going, what do you think needs to happen or what do you think could happen uh, where the Niners do something similar and we, you know, they at least just add some hope for next season? Do we sign, you know, a Des Bryant or? I, I, I don't. I mean, they're not gonna. They're not gonna add a quarterback. Obviously, they're not gonna make a move at, at that position because I, I think very quietly. I don't think anybody in the organization will tell you this, but I think they're perfectly satisfied uh, being competitive while going one and fifteen. I know that's probably not ideal for for people to hear, but um, you you can get a top three pick. You, you can you can start filling in some of those gaping holes in, in their defense that we talked about earlier with premium draft capital, which is what they're going to need to do if they're going to be uh, build a competitive team. Um, they'll have plenty of cap space. They can go fill some of those holes in free agency too. But as far as this year, I think if anything, you'll see them trade away some of their veteran guys. Uh, maybe a Pierre Garcon. Uh, I've heard Richard Sherman's name kind of floated out there by some people. Mm. a possible trade candidate because they try and just kind of accumulate draft picks. So going into that draft, they do have uh, enough capital to, you know, move up and down the board and, and make picks at important positions with prime draft capital, which is what they're going to have to do. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think there's I, – I, honestly, I don't think there's a move they're going to make this year that's going to go, wow, this, this really turned the team around. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless, there's some, unless there's some incredible edge rusher sitting in free agency that they haven't signed yet. Yeah. Uh, that they bring in that can, that can turn the defense around. But, uh, no, I, just, I, I think that what we're going to see is some kind of competitive games and probably two, three, four wins. There, there's a pretty incredible edge rusher, and I want to get to him uh, in a little bit. But my next question is basically, I guess there are rumors right now that the Niners are looking at signing Tom Savage. <laughs> Do you expect him... To take over at some point, you know, if they ultimately do sign Tom Savage, or do you think that this job CJ's and it's you know ultimately his to lose? I don't even think Tom Savage would be the backup quarterback. <laughs> uh, I think there's, uh, I think that, that Shanahan has made it pretty clear since Garoppolo went down that they want to have a third quarterback in the building uh, as an emergency option in the event that Beathard does get hurt. Yeah, I think Kyle Juszczyk right now is the third quarterback, and I mean, really? the NFL today, I mean we. We've seen how easy it is for a quarterback to, you know, land on his shoulder. Now your backup's in the backup, turns an ankle or something, and now they're going up a third quarterback. Uh, so I think Savage would be very much a uh, emergency option. I think he'd still be Mullins as the as the second as a backup quarterback mm-hmm. with with Bedford starting, and uh, Savage would probably not be on the team beyond Week Seventeen. Okay. Um, at the beginning of this season, uh, when Jarek McKinnon went down. I had this prophecy, and it was that Raheem Moster would inevitably take that starting role. And at this point, I, I don't think that he's going to take it from Breida, but I thought Raheem looked great last night. And that was, you know, the first chance that the Niners gave him. I thought he looked amazing. Uh, what have you seen from Breida and Raheem? And, you know, 
did you like how the Niners utilized these two guys together? Yeah, Raheem Mostert gives an element of explosiveness that uh, that they only get from Matt Breida. So having a second back that they could rely on uh, uh, that isn't Alfred Morris was a pretty nice uh, was a pretty nice little wrinkle. Uh, they were still able to get those uh, outside zone runs, but uh, they're also designed where they can cut those back inside. Mostert did a phenomenal job last night of. Uh, picking which hole he wanted to go through and then decisively running through it with, with a great burst. I mean, he's, he's obviously fast. He's a terrific gunner on special teams. And I would imagine, like you said, I don't, I don't see him taking over as a starting running back per se, but uh, I don't think we'll end up seeing they have two running backs on the practice squad right now. I don't think they'll feel the need to call one of those guys up. Because mm. Mustard uh, obviously had a career night last night. And there's not really a reason that I, I could see him uh, relinquishing that role. And I think the 49ers will continue to give him touches uh, because he continue to rip off seven yards to carry. So I was just talking about this a few minutes ago. I, I said that I would I'd get to this guy. And, you, you know, you were talking about guys that we need to inevitably get who can put pressure on the quarterback. And it was announced today that a guy named Nick Bosa... He's leaving Ohio State, and he's going to focus on rehabbing his injury. At this point, you know, do you think that the Niners should just, you know, maybe tank? You know, as a fan, is that what you want to see? This draft, you know, the draft coming up is deadly. There's a lot of guys coming out of there with superstar potential who who could help out the Niners. You have Nick Bosa. You got guys like Ed Oliver and Clellan Farrell. So as a fan, you know, do you sit back and go, you know, let's... Let's wait until Jimmy gets healthy and let's start focusing on 2019. Uh, Tanking is a weird thing because I don't think as a fan, if you're a true fan of a team, you'll ever want the team to lose. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's difficult to, to you know, love a team and, and want them to, to win every game and then uh, turn around and, and want them so badly to lose every game. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think that, like last night, you look at it and you go, that, that stunk, you know, upsetting the Packers and Green Bay would have been awesome and a great win. But on the other hand, uh, they stay, 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 in, uh, stay on pace for, for the number one pick, which is a nice silver lining and kind of a big picture uh, benefit to a loss. So it just kind of takes away some of the normal sting from, uh, from a loss. Uh, I don't. I, I think for sure at this point tanking is is the the best possible scenario. I don't think that that you'll see because players don't tank. You know that uh, everybody knows the players are going to go out there and right. try and win every down, every every game. Uh, they're going to go try and, and and pull out a victory. The 49ers, I think, what we'll see is that we'll start seeing a guy like Julian Taylor who's been inactive all year. We'll start seeing him get some opportunities. Uh, we'll start seeing some of those guys uh, like Greg Maven get rotated in more. We might see DJ Reed getting in for Adrian Colbert. What about Tom Savage? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, yeah, there Tom you Savage go. The no, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think we'll start seeing some of those young guys get in and just kind of see what they have. I think we'll see Richie James get more opportunities as a receiver. Dante Pettis, if he is healthy, we'll probably start seeing more snaps uh, because I mean, ultimately, if they're going to happen to win games with those young guys, then they're in a pretty good spot. Uh, but if they're going to continue losing games, uh, they'll at least see what they have moving forward to see what they need in free agency and in the draft. So I, I, I think absolutely. I think worst-case scenario for the Niners at this point is that they go, like, 6-10. Uh, Best-case scenario is probably 1-15. I think a more realistic scenario is probably three wins in a, in a top-five pick, which 
if you're going to lose your starting quarterback and your starting running back before the quarter point of the season, uh, I, I don't think is, is such a bad thing. You know, I, I agree with everything that you said. As a fan, I, I, don't, I never cheer for tanking, and worst of all, I don't like fans who who cheer for tanking. I don't even like the word tanking, but, you know, there are some killers in that uh, in that top five draft. Um, yeah, I think people I think people that root for tanking are just kind of trying to, to ease the, the pain of watching our team lose. Yeah. That's a, that's, uh, yeah, I think it's all jokes. And it's, they almost right. use it as a crutch to, you know, other fans where they're yeah. shit-talking their team, and it's like, well, at least we're tanking. We're going to get a good draft pick. And it's like, you know what? I don't yeah, even exactly. know if you guys are tanking. You guys you guys just suck. And unfortunately, this year, <laughs> we do kind of suck. Yeah, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're still in the middle of a rebuild. I know that last year was, was uh, an exciting end to the year, but when you take a step back and, and zoom out, uh, you notice that there were still so many flaws in this roster, and, and we've seen it to this point, and Jimmy Garoppolo might have been able to overcome some of those flaws, but CJ Beathard sure can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it's not, like I said, 1 in 15, 2 in 14, 3 in 13. It stinks, but uh, not the end of the world for sure, uh, given, the, given the long-term outlook of, of what the 49ers have. Hey, I'm with you, man. Uh, thank you, Kyle, for, for joining the show today. Uh, I, got, I got one more actually for you, and... You know, really, what what do you expect for the remainder of the season? You just said you think we're going to go three three and thirteen, but what what, what about next week? We have a, like a ten and a half spread against the Rams. Am am I taking the Niners to cover any of these spreads against you know division teams? Uh, man, that's tough um, because I I would have I would have taken the Packers in nine and a half last night pretty easily. Oof. Um, but they they kind of. Uh, proved me wrong there. I think the Rams defense is, is a little better than the Packers defense, but I think Kyle Shanahan is, is, is good friends with Sean McVay. He's going to bust out uh, some tricks he has up his sleeve to try and, and run the score up a little bit and, and keep pace with the Rams. Uh, the Rams, two of the three Rams' highest uh, points allowed last season were against the 49ers. Uh, one of those is obviously when they were sitting everybody in the final week, but there was that Thursday night game earlier in the year where uh, with a shootout. And I think we'll see mm. something similar to that, but the Rams are so much more talented this year. Uh, they might be without Cooper Cup, who's dealing with a knee injury. That's kind of a big deal. He's such a reliable target for Jared Goff, but uh, Todd Gurley and, and Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks, uh, there's so many weapons on this offense. I don't think the 49ers will keep up, but uh, I do think uh, I, I, I worry about like a step Okay, pardon this interruption. It was at this point that we had gotten disconnected. Hello? Yeah, sorry about that, Kyle. I think that might have been me. I try, I, I accidentally pressed FaceTime or something. I don't know what was happening in there. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, just just finish up. You were, you were saying um, we're facing the Rams. Uh, they're going to kick our ass. How are we? <laughs> And if I'm not mistaken, that last 
last year in that Thursday night game that you were just talking about, the Rams had a little guy named Sammy Watkins, and I think he turned two or three touchdowns on us. So they're, they're without the star Sammy Watkins this year. So, you, you know, never know. Their defense seems to be making strides. They're tackling better, which is a huge thing. Um, but we, we saw him get diced up pretty good by Aaron Rodgers, and I imagine that Sean McVay will exploit some of their weaknesses on defense as well. But uh, Kyle Shanahan did a nice job last night with, with, with Bethard, and if they're going to add Mostert and have that, that kind of two-headed uh, threat at running back with Brita and Mostert, then uh, I think the 49ers are continuing to put up something close to 30 points. Uh, they, they certainly have the, uh, the talent and the scheme to do so. So... Uh, it should be an exciting game. Actually, I, I last night's game uh, made me uh, a little more excited about watching this offense going forward. Do I pick up M- Mostert in my fantasy? Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah. Maybe stash him on your bench. I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, like I, like I said, maybe maybe for a stash because Breida's been so banged up. But yeah, uh, I, I probably wouldn't start it because you don't know what his touches are going to look like. Hey, we'll see, man. 8.8, 8.8 points last night. It's not too bad. No, definitely not. Uh, especially if you're in a deep league, hurting at the, uh, the flex spot or hurting at running back. Might be worth a big swing. Thanks again, Kyle, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you got it, buddy. We'll see you. So there you have it. That's Kyle Madsen from USA Today Sports Media Group. Um... Yeah, man, I, I really liked what he said about tanking. And that's an issue that I'm not sure if I've brought up before or have gotten into. But I am totally on board and I totally agree with everything that he had to say about it. Um, I mean, any team that tanks, like, screw them. But he was right. It's It's not really the player's duty to purposefully lose games. That doesn't happen in professional sports. There are reasons why there are incentives in place, and that's to prevent that type of stuff from happening. Um, Tanking ultimately results in coaching decisions. And, you know, it is something that is kind of happening, but it's not like it's a purposeful motive. At least it doesn't ever appear to be. So any fan that's cheering for their own team to lose... What the fuck are you doing? You know, I have followed so many terrible teams and I have always stuck with them. You know, I've mentioned on the podcast before, first of all, if you're one of those guys that switches teams as an adult, you're a grown man. Don't switch sports teams as a grown man. But also, you have to take the lows if you ever want to experience the highs. I said this before. You know, I I spent my entire high school getting chirped and mocked for wearing a Frank Gore 49ers jersey when that team was going 4-12, 3-13. But that was my team. And I stuck through it. And I eventually got to watch them play in, in a Super Bowl many years later. And it was worth it. It was worth all those lows just to, to be able to have that. Um, anyway, next thing I... I have written down is okay speaking of being a huge sports fan and sticking with your team I've told you guys this before okay I'll explain this I work at this bar and some funny things sometimes happen at the bar with the TVs because you know I don't know what the fuck is going on 
at this place, at this bar with the TVs, okay? But I'm at the point now where I no longer give a fuck. I originally said, and I've worked at bars before, and, like, my managers have let me be that guy. You know, I'm a knowledgeable sports guy. So they just let me monitor what's going on with the TVs, okay? Because... You guys are the managers, sure, but with content that is currently on television, with sports, I know what should be on the fucking TVs, okay? I'm that guy that goes to a bar because I want to watch sports, so let me control it. So, I had already offered this for them, and they know this. That I'm the sports guy, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a power issue. It's a control issue. Um, and they should let me do it. Because everyone in that restaurant is fucking clueless. Okay? Here's an example. I once walked into work, and it's the middle of the PGA Championship on a Sunday. Final round. Tiger Woods is in contention. What's on the TV? Okay, let me explain this first. We have multiple TVs, but we only have two boxes. So we get two feeds, meaning we can have two games on, whatever's on TV. We can have two of whatever. And they'll be shown across these multiple TVs that we have throughout the bar. And this is stupid for so many reasons. But we'll forget about that for a second. So anyway, I walk into work and I'm looking at the TV and... I'm looking at the TV because I'm curious as to what's going on in the PGA Championship, and it is nowhere to be seen. I'm looking at the TV, and we have the Ottawa Red Blacks game going on on both feeds. Every TV in the bar, all eight or ten or whatever TVs we have, is showing the, the Ottawa Red Blacks game. What? fuck are you doing okay so now that you guys have this understanding that this place is clueless with what's going on with tvs let's flash back a couple days ago a few days ago it's it's a saturday night and i was behind the bar so i had previously put it on the dodgers and the brewers game okay and it's almost seven o'clock so i'm like okay i'll put on the leafs game and i'll put on the habs game uh, the Senators already played in the afternoon, so you're not going to have a huge... Well, you're not going to have any demand there because, you know, this the bar being in Ottawa, obviously you have to play the Ottawa game. So there's going to be no demand for the Senators game. Okay? And Ottawa is really close to Montreal, so there's a tons, tons of Habs fans throughout the city that sometime come in and they want to watch the game. You know, I've, I've noticed that people are either a Habs or a Leafs or a Sens fan, obviously, and that's just the way it goes throughout most places in Ontario. So I, I'd set up the TV for that because, you know, if I had it my way, I, I would just watch the baseball game. I don't care about the Leafs or the Habs. You know, I'm going to watch the Calgary game later on in that night. I, I don't, you know... 
But this this is the demand. Okay, this even though I'm the sports guy, I I know what the demand is. Okay, so that's another reason why you should have me control the TVs. So I know that people are going to be asking for the hockey game, so I just switch the TVs and I leave it. Um, after I leave it, I go back to I go into the back because I had to work on something. And when I came out, dude, you're not going to believe this. The fucking Red Blacks game was on. It was on TV, the Red Blacks game. Again, on a Saturday night. I didn't even know they were playing. <laughs> you talk about being a fucking fan of your team and sticking with it. I go to the bar and I ask the bartender about this. You know, like, what is going on? Why do we have the Red Blacks game on the TV? And apparently... One of the guests had requested that the game be put on, okay? So, this, as a bartender, if someone asks me to put on the Red Box game, I say, no. The Leafs and Habs are playing. And this is where my restaurant has no clue what's going on. Because apparently we have this rule, the managers have set this rule in place, that if there's a demand for any Ottawa game, because we're in Ottawa, we have to have it on that channel. What the fuck does that even mean, first of all? You know, that could mean that the Ottawa 67s could rule over a Leafs game. What? The balls, this guy... Whoever requested to change the TV must have had to waltz in with his old ass because he had to have been old. There's no one under the age of 65 requesting a CFL game be put on. And he requested that they play the Red Blacks game. And I looked throughout the restaurant and there were tons of people who were up in arms over his, over this, as they should be. Like, as a bar, how do you not understand the importance of TV? Like, first of all, have more than two feeds. And second of all, if you don't know what you're doing and you don't know what people are wanting to watch, then make me in charge. Like I've already offered to do. It is infuriating because people go to the bar to watch the game. The bar and the game are synonymous. Okay? I'm going to go watch the game. That means you're going to the bar. I'm going to the bar. It means you're going to watch the game. Okay? And if you're going to fuck that up for people, then you're not only doing yourself and your company a disservice by turning away customers, but you're doing a disservice to the bar and the identity of a bar. And the idea that the bar is the place to go watch sports. Jeez. You know, I, I, I don't know how long I'm going to be at this place. I don't know how much longer I want to work in a, in a bar, but it is things like this that motivate me even more uh, to get a new job. Um, hey, man. Uh, thank you guys for listening. You know, one more thing, actually. Uh if if you, have you guys seen that movie Spotlight 
there's this movie Spotlight, and it's about the this team of investigative journalists um, from the Boston Globe, and they uh, they do this investigative report, and they were the first, they were the team um, that had cracked down the uh, all of the priests, you know, molesting kids in Boston, and then you know that story had reached out to so many different places around um, the United States and then it was re revealed that there was this huge e epidemic and this huge um, thing being kept under wraps uh, in in churches and um, so that movie kind of brought that out to light and you know since uh, that team of investigative journalists did that one story. They've done several other stories. Um, so you might know Spotlight, which is it's real. This team of investigative journalists, they do a bunch of investigative reports. Um, this past week, they did a story on Aaron Hernandez. And the story was insane. Um, it's a six-part story, so it's not fully done yet. There's, I think there's been two there's been two articles so far two of six um and the story of aaron hernandez if you guys don't know aaron hernandez he was his tight end on uh, the new england patriots he um he killed somebody and uh there was you know after many people were denying it it came out that there was like actual video footage of him doing it and, um, so that was a huge, huge story, uh, a few years ago. Um, you know, after that, he, he went to prison and, you know, killed himself in prison. And then it was found out that he had all these traces of CTE in his brain. And, you know, it, it made the story more sad rather than kind of looking at Aaron Hernandez as this guy who, um, was a gangster and a thug. And just savagely murdered someone and you know a lot of people were thinking maybe it was the traces of CTE that maybe contributed to that behavior anyway spotlight um, this new story that they're doing uh, they've revealed that Aaron Hernandez was actually abused like really bad as a kid and he was sexually abused and he had a he had a gay relationship with his you know, when he was in high school, he had a relationship with uh, the quarterback. And, you know, it's it's really interesting reading this stuff, you know, knowing everything that transpired afterwards. Um, to read an investigative report and find out about the type of person that Aaron Hernandez was. Um, and the writing is incredible. These stories are incredible. Um, but anyway, yeah, so the only thing I was going to say is I gotten in contact with this team and um you know i i had reached out because i'd love to have them on the podcast and um so a couple of them actually got back to me and they said that there's nothing really that they can do uh until all the stories come out so yeah over the next couple of weeks as those stories do come out um I may may or may not have have some of those reporters on this show, um, and that would be that'd be awesome. Uh, 
and I would strongly, strongly recommend you guys tune in or read those articles uh, on Aaron Hernandez because the stories are they're insane. They are um, enlightening, and it's a really, really good read. So yeah, so yeah, there's a chance that I might have uh, one of those reporters on this show, and you know that'd be awesome, man. Uh, but yeah, anyway, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Always, you know, I, I always appreciate it. I always appreciate your feedback, um, on this podcast. And hey, if you are a diehard sports fan, then hey man, stick with your team until the day you die. Don't cheer for tanking. Uh, don't ever cheer for tanking. And if you're, hey, if you're a bar and you're not showing the game, then burn in hell. Love you guys. Peace.